Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, where we look at the areas where sports and society intersect. Today, we have Katie Crawl as our guest. She, she's been with the Red Sox. She's been with the Reds. She's, she's worked in player development, baseball analytics, operations, in, in the front office of teams. She's worked for MLB, all kinds of different things. Uh, Cole, it was great to talk to Katie. What, what do you think? Yeah, this is a great, great episode, and I'm very excited for everyone to be able to listen to our conversation that we had with her um, I, like I said, I don't want to give too I don't want to give too uh, too much away from the episode, but uh, it was just very encouraging to see that you know we talk about uh, different sexism and you know gender diversity. So a female coming up through baseball, which is typically a male dominated not only sport but with players and personnel, of course, as well. To see that she said she wanted to inspire the next people coming along, the next generation. She said that there may be a little girl at home watching and she wants to be the next professional MLB coach or MLB scout or anything with that. So she said it's a great that she's been able to pave this vision along with multiple female staff members across different sports organizations, but saying that, hey, I want to be someone that you can look up to me. So I thought that was really awesome. Uh, and Katie was great. I'm really excited for everyone to listen to this episode. Yeah, no, it was a great conversation that we had with Katie. I, I'm a big baseball guy. I'm always, I've always been into the data. So this is the first time I've actually gotten to talk to someone who's, you know, kind of in on this type of job. So it was very exciting for me to talk to Katie, not only because of, you know, what she's doing and, and the, you know, the glass ceiling she's been part of breaking. I, I just think it was great to talk to her just, you know, in terms of what she does as well. And you so, could have asked her a better guess. Talking about answering all your questions. Absolutely. Greg. Yeah, no, she she was great. She was great. <laughs> Don't want to give anything away. You got to listen for that. But no, I, I loved it. So if you're if you're into baseball analytics or even just, you know, breaking glass ceilings, it's a great episode to listen to. So uh, we had a little bit of audio issues in the middle there. So stick with us for a little, a little bit for those. It, it didn't last long. So if you can just push through those, it's a great episode to listen to. Uh, and we'll get into it now. Good to go. All Recording right. in progress. Oh, there we go. All right. Welcome back to the intersection uh, where we look at the areas where sports and society intersect. Today, our guest is Katie Crawl. Uh, last year, she was a player development coach for the Portland Sea Dogs, a double-A team for the Red Sox. She's also worked in baseball operations as an analyst for the Reds. Uh, she's worked for MLB. She's been an assistant GM in the Cape Cod League, uh, all kinds of experience in baseball. Uh, welcome, Katie. Glad to have Thanks, you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. Well, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess um, I just wanted to start by talking about your job last year with, with the Sea Dogs. Player development, it you know, as as far as it's advanced in the past few years, it's still fairly new. So I guess if you're able to explain exactly what you did last year for people who Definitely. don't know. So I was an in-uniform coach, Greg. Uh, coach first base, war number 43, first uniform I've worn since Little League. So it was a super cool experience being in the dugout for every game, traveling with the team. Definitely saw baseball through a different prism. And then in terms of like my core responsibilities, I would say it focused on three main things. Advanced scouting. So how are we breaking down the opposing pitcher and the opposing relievers we're going to face that day? You know, how can we really prepare our guys for success? And then also monitoring and creating player plans. So what are the goals that Nico Cavadas has to put him in the best possible position to some way get to Fenway? You know, how can Sedan, Rafael, and Cuttown and his chase rate on sliders? And then the third component really would be pitch design. 
So the Red Sox had a huge emphasis on optimizing pitchers' mixes, thinking about how you can maybe add ride on a fastball, sweep on a slider, so also being part of bullpens and really in the trenches on that realm as well. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I won't give you, it won't ask you to give away any industry secrets and unless you want to, you know, go ahead and do that. But uh, just what kind of like data are you using day to day, like on a, if you're able to kind of get into the specifics? Definitely. So you want to take a look at um, both opposing and internal heat maps, right? So where does a hitter do damage? Does he have like Mookie bets? If you take a look at True Media, he's got a really hot red zone right in the heart. So he chases, he doesn't really chase, he leaves the waist and he really focuses on the heart. So we take a look at that um, from like the pitch design perspective. We look at like pitch level data. So like, um, like on an XY plot, you know, like how is the cutter moving? How is the cutter moving in relation to his slider? Are they blurring together? You know, does he have a distinct curveball? Does he have a distinct slider? So like Chris Murphy, who's the left-handed pitching prospect with the Red Sox, he has four distinct clusters, right? Like his fastball, his slider, his changeup, and his curveball. So like when you plot it out, you can really see, okay, these are how each pitch moves. Um, so I would say that would be pretty much like a, a run-of-the-mill type of um, both data visualization and data sources that we would use. Yeah, and when it comes to that data, you know, obviously the public has access to like things like baseball savant, fan graphs, baseball perspective, stuff like that. But once you actually get into like with a team, how much more data is there? Like how much more do you have to look at and tackle and, and kind of use to try to translate that to the way that players understand it? Definitely. And I would say it's really overwhelming, Greg. You know, like there are lots of different data sources. I think those quasi third party sites, even though baseball savant is run through MLB, you know, I think they do a really cool job and they definitely do a really interesting kind of look at how to present information for the knowledgeable fan. I would say on the team side, you know, you have access to sports science data. So you have access to catapult, blast, um, you know, you think about like simi or kinetrax, like biomechanics data. So I would say you have a lot of different strings that you can pull. And so one of the most important aspects of my role is being that conduit and honing in on, okay, these are the two or three things that when we're sitting across from a player or sitting across, you know, from a fellow coach that we really want to narrow in on and make sure that we're hammering home. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So just continuing with that a, a little bit, um, what you just recently said, it just kind of reflects um, how you interpret that data. So, you know, from the typical fan point of view, as Greg was kind of talking about, it's really easy to see, oh, yes, he's going to throw this amount of pitches or he's going to this is like his tended pitches that he likes to throw. But from your point of view, as you're the player de development coach, how what was the learning curve in interpreting this data and really being able to get it out to each and every player? You know, what was that process like for you when you first started? That's an awesome question, Cole. I would say the key and where the greatest time investment came from was the individuality. So how I would speak to Brian Van Bell about his change of usage or the frequency that he throws in certain counts might be a little bit different than how I would talk to Michael Geddes, who's a converted position player who felt like, as I got to know him, that he maybe got a little bit too bogged down in the numbers when he was a hitter, and so he made a promise to himself that he wouldn't do that as a pitcher. Right, so I could have the exact same messaging. They're both totally different pitchers, but I might have similar messaging. I'm going to go about it in a different way because of what I know about Michael and because of what I know about Brian. Definitely. Definitely. And continuing with that as well, um, you know, just kind of talking about getting into the position to be able to make all this like process happen. 
um, when you first got with the organization, how much experience did you have with the data kind of side of things uh, and more in terms of just comparing it with player development as well on the field, but also off the field as well, if, like the whole statistics ways? Definitely. So I would say when I got to the Red Sox, I'd already spent time at Google on their global strategy team. I spent two seasons with the Cincinnati Reds baseball operations analyst, and I was wrapping up my MBA from the University of Chicago, which has a super quantitative approach to problem solving. You know, they'll whip out matrices or matrices for leadership classes. So even um, if you think it's going to be like an easy A, it's not. Don't worry. So I would say I was pretty comfortable navigating and being in those spaces by the time I got to the Red Sox. If anything, it was really figuring out what the macro level organizational goals were in terms of developing players and then ensuring that whether we were in double A or triple A, that there was continuity in messaging and also in process. I'm really interested in like the how you, how you said you're kind of a conduit uh, for the players. I don't, I don't know if you've read MVP Machine. Ben Lindbergh, Travis Olchick. I love that book. That's my favorite book. Um, I, I'm very interested in in how it works because, like you were saying, you know, it's different from player to player, and there's and there's so much data. But you also want to use that for everyone in some sort of way. So, what were the challenges? I guess I'm sure maybe not as much as there used to be, but there's still got to be players who aren't as accepting of the data like this. So, what are some of the specific challenges you've had with that? I think it hinges on trust, Greg, you know, like ensuring that the player recognizes that you have their best interests at heart, right? At the end of the day, the only thing that should matter is their own individual career. And so the numbers in many cases, and I believe this firmly, can help them get where they want to go, but we're also never going to force feed them or we're never going to make them adopt a pitch or change their swing or change their approach if they aren't bought in, right? Because, you know, they might wear a Red Sox uniform, but they also have to take autonomy and they have to be really the ones who are responsible for where their career leads. So from that perspective, I would say it's really important that the player knows where you're coming from. And then in terms of resistance to data, I would say like you do have people who are maybe a little bit reluctant to embrace it. Maybe they had a bad experience in the past. Like I know a number of college players who maybe went to a program where they had someone who was an analyst, but maybe they didn't do a great job or maybe, you know, something didn't work out. So, you know, in player development, it, a lot of it can be experimentation, right? So sometimes things can go awry. And so as a result, they might be turned off to it. But you also do have a majority of players who go to the Texas baseball ranch, who go to driveline, who are super comfortable and really recognize the value and the, the power of investing in these types of kind of perspectives of looking at the game. So what, what are you looking into doing now after your time with the Red Sox at Sea Dogs? Yes. So the Red Sox offered me my coaching job again uh, for the 2023 season. I ended up turning them down. I think I've interviewed with 14 teams. Wow. So definitely um, would love to stay in baseball. I think there are some cool opportunities right now. Probably not the best time to jump back into the tech world, <laughs> given <laughs> the dynamic in the industry. Uh, but currently I'm still a free agent, so I will definitely let you guys know where I land. Uh, let me know if you're you're getting like Carlos Rodon or Aaron Judge money this off season. <laughs> I'd like to know. Uh, a very small fraction of that best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, definitely, Katie. Well, we're rooting for you. Hopefully, you can get that next big job, and like Greg said, hopefully, you can get that enormous uh, contract <laughs> as well. But you've said it. You said you want to continue along with baseball, which that's something you've been a part of your whole life. Uh, ever since attending Northwestern as well. I want to make sure I got this right. So you started 
at Northwestern. You started the own student promotion, like you became the own coordinator and you started that for Northwestern. So you've been in baseball your entire life. So how did that come about, you know, getting in trying to make some ways into the world? And that's what you do when you first start out. I would say I always knew I wanted to work in baseball, probably from when I read Moneyball when I was 13. My godfather was the bullpen coach of the Minnesota Twins for 32 years, so when I wore 43 this year, that was an honor of him. And I had honestly assumed that I would never be taken seriously initially on the baseball side, you know, in the pro scouting, analytics, baseball ops world. So I figured if I made inroads, at least in the business realm, then maybe at a point I could pivot. And so that was the catalyst for the student promotions coordinator at Northwestern. That was why I planned the World Series trophy tour for the Cubs in 2016. You know, I figured maybe if I make some relationships, if I get my foot in the door, then I can swivel. Uh, And then ultimately being chosen to work at MLB in New York at the commissioner's office, it was exactly what I wanted right after undergrad. And it was phenomenal exposure to the highest level of the game and all 30 clubs. And so I was very fortunate and definitely a beneficiary of the circumstances and the timing. Um, You know, if I hadn't graduated from Northwestern in three years, I wouldn't have been able to accept the role. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's kind of how you said it's what you make out of it. You know, you had to go out and create that own opportunity for yourself. And as you said, eventually you got to go on work in the Cape Cod league, but you also got the work in the MLB as well. A part of the, uh, um, the diversity fellowship program that you were selected out of kind of talk about that. Um, you know, how that whole process went and, you know, as you said, trying to make a name for yourself and given opportunities, what that meant for you. The diversity fellowship interview process was pretty rigorous. I interviewed with four SVPs. The first interview was Kim Ang, who was hired as the first female GM in MLB by the Miami Marlins in 2020. So I remember getting the email, I think it was like a Friday, pretty late, and thinking, oh my gosh, this is the Michael Jordan of female sports <laughs> executives. I can't believe she's going to take 20 minutes to talk to me. So then after Kim, it was three other executives at MLB. I received the job offer the day after my 21st birthday. I was super excited. I knew that it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because I think that MLB in many ways functioned as like a quasi-grad school for me in the sense of you know, I learned about salary arbitration from the deputy commissioner. I helped think about like strategies for bargaining for the next CBA rule changes. My boss was Chris Young, who's now the president of baseball ops for the Rangers. And we worked on um, like a hypothetical study and the potential of moving back the pitching mound six inches. So I think that there were, it was a really unique role. It definitely gave me a lot of exposure. Uh, I ultimately knew that I wanted to be with the team. That was part of the reason why I went to Cincinnati to make the playoffs and compete for a World Series ring, but I would love to be back in New York someday. I think that being a steward of the game and kind of a custodian and operating in that space is a really unique perspective to have. Am I frozen on yours right now? No, my Zoom is not working right now. It, it's just audio, so it's fine. It's just audio. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to cut that part out. But, um, yeah, I, I can't unmute, so you'll have to keep yours unmuted, I think, for me. But um, So, yeah, Katie, you are – you obviously were the Red Sox. You were the first – what's going on here? <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a lot of trouble here. All right, so you were the first – the Red Sox, they were the first team to have two women coaching in the same system. So, you know, I, I can ask the question of, you know, were some of the players a little bit hesitant when you first started coaching with them? But I, I imagine that some of the players that you were coaching also, 
had the privilege of having Bianca Smith as a coach before as well. So maybe that was a little less so for you. Uh, but but was there anything like that when you were in the system? I'd say that anyone treated me poorly. Um, they were all incredibly respectful. I truly believe that I impacted their careers and their season just as much as they impacted my career, just in terms of being able to work with them. You know, like Kyle Hart, who has big league time, who was with us, I think was a huge contributor, just like Brett Kennedy to helping us make the playoffs. You know, he showed me a different slider grip that he was working on, like in the clubhouse. And he was like, oh, Katie, you know, like adjust your finger here. Like we were talking about it in that moment. Like he didn't realize what a paradigm shifting experience it was, right? Like here's somebody who has major league service time who's talking to me about how he should position his fingers on a slider, right? Like that talking to a woman who's 5'5", who never played any form of professional baseball. That I could get those assessments in those moments because of of like the standard that she set not only for female coaches but I think for all coaches I think that there definitely was far more reception than I would have experienced if I went to an org that maybe hadn't previously had a female coach yeah that, that's that's a great answer as well um how do you feel like it was different as well because not as Greg mentioned it was the first time that an organization has two female staff members uh in the coaching organizations on their hands so what was like that kind of like the kind of like, of course, you want to be able to take it in and say, this is an awesome moment. But at the same time, on the other end, you're looking at it, you're like, I'm just simply here to do the job that I've been doing my entire life. And I want to continue to do that. Definitely. I think it's super important to be cognizant of the path that we're walking, like that there have been women who have come before us, but we also are treading new ground in many respects. And I think that, you know, Part of the reason why Bianca and I always say yes to every podcast, to every interview, is because the reach of our stories and the potential young girls that they could inspire, that's why we say yes to the media. You know, they're not really for us. It's not so that we can post on LinkedIn or we can, you know, throw up on Twitter, oh, look, we were in The Athletic, oh, look, we were in The Wall Street Journal. It's far more so because there's some eight-year-old girl out there right now who might be a major league coach someday. And I think that there's such power in that if she can see well, Bianca Smith did it, Katie Crawl did it. Why can't I be next? Yeah, and that and that's a great point as well. Um, and exactly hitting on that, similar to what you did at Northwestern in terms of making that opportunities for yourself. So here at the intersection, this is this is like what we like to talk about: bringing sports society together and seeing how they really intersect and clash. So bring up that great point as you mentioned. There might be a little girl out there who wants to be in your role, and they want to even go even farther. They want to be the first professional uh, MLB coach. Uh, a female MLB coach and just kind of proceed along that. What's your biggest advice for anyone in the industry in terms of just going out there and, you know, as you and Bianca have before, just making a name for yourself? I think tenacity is key, Cole. There will absolutely be people who will tell you I'm going to reinvite you. It's not your place that you don't belong. And so I think you have to have really an unshakable faith in yourself and in your goals because there absolutely will be obstacles anyone who tells you otherwise is has probably never walked the path um but with that being said if you get to the top the view is worth it yeah definitely um greg you're still on so if you you just want to go in you got disconnected from the zoom a little bit but your audio is still picking up though Uh, okay well cool yeah um I just want to, you know, I'm curious because I'm sure you said you accept every podcast interview, every, everyone that wants to talk to you. And obviously that is important because like you said, there are, there are women, there's girls out there who want to 
who want to be in your shoes and who want to maybe do even more. And, and hopefully we do see that advancement. But it, it also as you know, has to be a little bit tiring, I guess, to to, you know, it, you, I bet you wish it wasn't a story at this point. You know what I mean? Uh, how close do you think we are to getting there? I don't know. The, the war for gender equality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? I would say, honestly, you know, we're thinking about the podcast that I've done, like the, the best one that I've done this past year was Fangraphs and it was David Loria. And I was reflecting on it. And obviously, you know, it was like a very high level conversation about baseball because he's, you know, incredibly informed. But it was also because he didn't mention the fact that I was a female coach. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I was reading an article about a very famous female tennis player the other day who who did not want to be on the front lines, who did not consider herself a feminist, who had no interest in being part of the civil rights movement. And, you know, I understand why she may have taken that position because it is time consuming to say, okay, I'm going to intentionally be very proactive in how I present myself and making sure that other women know that there is a path for them. And so I think that there is that balance of, I, I do just want to work in baseball, but I also accept and embrace the responsibility that comes from being one of the first or one of a few. Yeah, I feel like that's almost like, you know, that's taking on a whole another job in a way, even like it in some ways a lot bigger than what you're even doing in baseball. So it, I, I guess when it comes to what you were doing, you know, being familiar with the data in baseball, how do you feel like in any way you kind of had to be better like by by miles, uh, you know, ahead of the people that you were, you know, applying against or stuff, something like that. Do you feel like that was there in any way, or are we finally getting away from that at least a little bit? Or what do you think about that? I had a mentor who once said to me, "When an unqualified woman is hired for a job, we'll know that we've reached that gender equality, <laughs> right?" Because you're spot on. You know, I think that women do have to have more experience. They have to have more of a diverse skill set that's not to you know belittle or take away from any of my colleagues over the years but i definitely think that the bar is not there for women and i felt it i felt that um you know like there was definitely an increased spotlight on me same with bianca and there were more eyes on us than maybe our male counterparts yeah and just following up with that um you kind of said that's just unfortunately the different uh, the problems with the gender diversity in today's age, especially in the sports world as well, saying that there's going to be a bigger spotlight, especially here in the MLB on the females. Um, so when you kind of came up through the ranks, when did that kind of click for you saying, Hey, I'm as qualified as everyone else. But I know that just because of uh, that, I'm a female in, you know, in a male dominated sport across the years that I'm going to have to push myself and do even better than I possibly can. Yeah, cool. I would say I was, um, probably been aware of the systemic differences probably since I like started in the game you know and I honestly had like so many amazing male colleagues who have made me feel welcome and accepted you know like Josh Keane, Chris Nettle, Mike Sanser and MLB, Andrew Kine, James Brand in Cincinnati, Juan Rivera with the Red Sox and I think having those peers who believe in you and support you you know it can be almost better than when you have a supervisor who <laughs> thinks you have what it takes you know what I mean like they're there are just so many advantages to having someone who's like, hey, you know, we're we're going out for happy hour drinks. You should definitely come. Or, hey, by the way, you know, I saw you working on that project. Here's a workaround I figured out two years ago. It's really going to save you two or three hours of time. And I think those small moments, you know, they can feel like they're insignificant, but they actually mean the world. 
Yeah, it's all about building each other up, uh, especially like you said. Has there ever been uh, key moments um, that you can remember from your time from, you know, at being at Northwestern to where you are now? Because clearly you have the credentials, you have everything, you have the resume. Has there ever been a problem exactly like that just because you are a female? or those episodes Cole, is you know you want to shine a light on them and you want to acknowledge them because they happened and they can you know make you question whether or not you should stay in the industry but by the same token I also never want a woman to hear this or a little girl to cite this and say well wow I hope that never happens to me or I can never handle that so that's part of the reason why I've never really publicly spoken about anything that has happened because I I fear that that could be the fallout but, you know, I was listening to an interview the other day on MLB Network about a female coach, and she said, well, I've, you know, I've never encountered sexism, or no one's ever treated me differently. And I also don't want women to think that's the case either, you know, that it is not necessarily a yellow brick road that leads to the promised land. So I, I wouldn't say I feel comfortable sharing anything right now, but yes, there are moments where it's really tough, um, but it still is worth it. Yeah, Definitely. And it is good to see, you know, the at, at, as slow as it is, at least there is progress. You know, like you said, we've got Kim Ang, general manager for the Marlins. We, we've got Alyssa Nakin, the first uh, first female coach who met, who was on the field for an MLB game. Uh, you've got Rachel Balkovic, who, you know, is a manager in the Yankees minor league system. And obviously you've got Bianca Smith, Katie Kroll. So it, it's great to see the progress that we're making. Obviously, it'd be great if this progress didn't need to be made and, you know, it was already – something you know that 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 was equal but it, it's great to see what you're what you've been a part of and what you're helping push for thank you i appreciate it yeah and you know thank you again katie for coming on uh we really appreciate it as well uh we're rooting for you in the next step of your journey like you said we hopefully that you can get that big aaron judge contract coming up <laughs> uh but katie again thank you for coming on uh you were great just having you on talking about uh, how you came up through the ranks and just, again, that intersection with sports society is something that we vouch on. So your story is incredible, and we hope that many people can inspire to do and be in your footsteps as well. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it, too. Awesome, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a pleasure. All right. I have no idea what happened on my end. All right. Well, thanks for listening to that episode of The Intersection, everybody. It was great to have Katie on. Uh, if you missed our last episode with Yusty Sanchez, Block O football director, please listen to that one. Be on the lookout for our next episode. Uh, it's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. Cole, it was pretty good to, to talk to Katie today. Like, like I said, it's it's um, it was very exciting. I, I love baseball. I love getting into the data. And, you know, it, it's a sport where you really get to dive into those analytics. It, it's more available than any other sport. I feel like when it comes to the numbers, you know, so I was very excited about that. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, you know, as we were talking about, she has the the resume and the credentials, you know, but really seeing like that data side, how she really interprets it, you know, and how she can get that out to each player 
to develop their certain needs. It was a really cool process of the way she described it. But as you said, Katie was great. She's now a friend of the show on the intersection. So she's welcome back anytime. Maybe we'll have to get her near the start of a baseball season. As you said, yeah. spring training, uh, they're heading out just here in a, would you say about a week or so? Yeah, it's coming up pretty soon. And, you know, Katie said she, She's got. Uh, she's had a lot of interviews, so hopefully she gets that job with with a team that wherever she wants to be. Maybe we can have her back on when when she gets something like that. So it, it would be cool to have her back on when she's actually got a new position because I'm sure she's going to get that. She's very qualified. But yeah, that's that's all we got for today. We're going to look out for another episode. And thanks for listening to the intersection. <laughs>